With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everyone? It's the love, the jam, the podcast coming to you as always with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I am doing decently well in terms of basketball stuff, in terms of life things. A couple of things have not gone super well. Um, yeah. But uh, nothing, you know, desperately bad. So uh, I'm, I'm doing okay and uh, ready for, for the stretch run and then the playoffs. I'm excited. Yeah, Clipper basketball is is uh, is brightening everybody's mood, including both of ours. And the Clippers just had a game yesterday against the Memphis Grizzlies and what was pretty much a snoozer, which is a game they really didn't even particularly need to show up for. Yeah. That Memphis team without Mike Conley is just a, a dumpster fire. Uh, and they won pretty easily without really playing their best basketball, 113-96, against a depleted Memphis Grizzlies team. Uh, Memphis really just I don't can't even remember who they put out there. Their Valachunas was their really their NBA player and he got hurt too. So it was uh just a rough a rough stretch for them. And for a Memphis team that's really been pouring their hearts out, a lot of kudos to the Memphis Grizzlies playing good basketball this past month despite just tanking otherwise so or seemingly being a team that should tank they played pretty well this past month and have actually helped us out with some of our um fellow playoff bound teams and are jostling for positioning but the Grizzlies really didn't have much of a chance with the roster they fielded Chandler Parsons actually looked semi-decent who knows if that'll last but he had 17 points the Clippers though played pretty well um they were highlighted by Danilo Gallinari, 27 and 15 rebounds, five assists, 14 and 16 from the line, his usual goodness. Um, Zubat continues to impress, 13, only four boards, but really he's just a defensive presence more than anything. His body is, he's just a smart kind of up and down defender. And I feel like his presence down low has been kind of not understated because I feel like people have talked about it a lot, particularly with this whole Laker drama about them trading him to us for absolutely nothing, which they did. But, you know, it's been highlighted by the fact that we've had probably what around the best record in the league or so since that trade happened. Yeah. And he's been a nice, nice player to, to couple with Montrez Harrell. And I feel like he's been getting a little bit more comfortable we can maybe start off with him since we're going to talk about Shea quite a bit in this yeah, pod. Of course we're going uh, to. <laughs> what, did you th- what do you think about uh, Zubat recently and just his play? And do you think he's kind of getting the hang of things a little bit more considering where he was to start his career with the Clippers? Yeah, I mean, I think on offense, he's still kind of rough. You know, I think Jovan Buha in that article for the Athletic Review because it laid out that he's been doing injuries to his hands. Right. And that's why he hasn't been able to really finish or do much offensively. And there are still plenty of times where he goes up weak in traffic or he floats around like a little flip shot that has no chance of going in. You know, there are times where he gets a little bit of tunnel vision. His 
he can kind of pass when he's looking to pass, but his vision isn't great. Uh, but defensively, he's been a monster. Um, you know, I don't think he's anywhere close to like that Rudy Gobert, Miles Turner level of defensive player of the year room protection where guys are really afraid to just even take shots around the basket because of him. But he's like a very good interior presence. He's big. He can move decently quickly. He has solid instincts and he's actually surprisingly quick on the perimeter. He doesn't do great when matched up with smaller guys, but he does better than you might think just from looking at him. Um, You know, he's been a huge upgrade. I think, I was tweeting about this the other day, but when parsing the Clippers' success down the stretch here, it's kind of fun because you can look at three different trades they made at the deadline, plus stuff that didn't even – that players they didn't even add, but just things that happened as a result of the deadline that have pushed them. But possibly the biggest upgrade has been from Gortat and Boban to Zubats. It's just so much better than they were. I think offensively, Boban is obviously, you know, a unique weapon. But defensively, Zubats is just such a massive upgrade. And that's really what the Clippers needed from their center, much more than offense. So he's been really, really good. I still am iffy on how much I'd really offer him this summer because I do think he has some limitations athletically and in terms of skill. But he's been quite good. And I think... I've come around a bit on him as being a starting level center mm-hmm. rotation one. Again, like some of that is because he is the best backup big man in the NBA. Maybe, you know, the second best, depending on your thoughts on DeMontis Sabonis coming off the bench behind him. But I, he's been a key player to the Clippers run down the stretch here. And they've been really, really good with him on the court. So I've become a fan. You know, I think you might get a little bit overhyped at some point, so he definitely has a lot of stuff to work on, but he's been really good. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed him. I think he is definitely a great counterpart to Montrez Harrell, at the very least, if we can sign him through next year. And I think that's the perfect situation for him because we can kind of run him with Harrell and maybe eventually gradually increase his minutes in a, in a starting, you know, in that pseudo-starter role and see if he can handle more responsibility as the year goes on next year. I hope we bring him back. I don't think he's going to be particularly expensive. Hopefully nobody throws the kitchen sink at him. But, um, you know, he's still only playing about 20, 24 max minutes a game or so. So you would imagine he wouldn't be getting massive offers, especially considering, I don't know what exactly happened with this Laker trade. Like there have been leaks as far as our reports that the Lakers just called the Clippers and were like, Hey, this is the trade. I, I, I guess that's true. Like, I, I don't know. That's really dumb. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know what to deal with those reports with as far as the Lakers actually calling the Clippers and offering this trade. I, I think that's what happened. I mean, I have no inside information as of. Amazing. I don't, I just don't understand. Yeah. yeah, I I just I think from whatever I've heard from other people, um, he's that's that's the story. Is Man. yeah, <laughs> the Lakers offered it. I don't really know the reasons as to why. I think that's still kind of the question. It's been laid out by a few people in terms of them wanting shooting and them trying to keep the locker room veterans, um, you know, happy, but. 
it's it's baffling. It's it's really it's not a huge trade uh, because the Lakers probably weren't going to re-sign him anyway. But it is truly one of the most baffling trades that has happened in like the past five years. It's yeah, it just, doesn't doesn't make any problem. sense. Maybe I I have no clue. Speaking of the Lakers, I mean I don't I never like talking about the Lakers on this podcast aside from when we beat them, but. The Lakers have kind of come up in some Clipper news uh, over the past month or so with the whole genie bus talking about Steve Ballmer and and uh, the whole Inglewood move and the Lakers thinking about moving back to the forum and and uh, all that drama that recently happened. And I think just genie bus and being very disrespectful towards the Clippers organization and our fan base and, and – uh, and Bomber particularly, did you really have anything to add for that whole thing while we're mentioning the Lakers and just not really? I, I just um, yeah. I probably should care about this kind of stuff more than I do. My dad actually brought this up to me. Um, he was like, "I noticed you haven't written about this or you know, and talked about it or anything." And I'm just as like I try to care more and and do stuff about organizational behaviors and obviously stuff about ownership and arenas is very very important but really for me it's it's all about the on-court product and things that tie into the on-court product so while I do follow along with that kind of news and drama at the very highest levels of basketball operations I just don't have a super strong opinion on it except for the fact that the Lakers just seem incompetent from top to bottom and that includes Jimmy Bus. and that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, it's pretty much how I feel, too. I just don't feel like that team deserves any more of a highlight um, on our podcast than they get probably on other – there are quite a few Clipper podcasts that are out now. Shout out to all the, you know, Clipcast, Locked On Clippers, and even Johan Buha has a new uh, Clipper podcast that people should check out. Mm-hmm. Um, all these guys probably touch on this a little bit uh, more than we do as far as the whole Clippers-Lickers thing. I just – I don't care anymore. That's a bad team over there, so – and they really need to figure it out because LeBron's getting older. So, I mean, they could just keep doing whatever they're doing. It's not – they're not doing well. I hope they sign Jimmy Butler. That's what I hope they do. This I would love that they sign Jimmy Butler. He actually belongs on that team with that fan base. That entitlement really syncs up really well. So, yeah. uh, I don't – oh, gosh. I hope the Clippers don't touch Jimmy Butler with, like, uh, two miles. And we've already been pretty vocal about our feelings about Jimmy Butler. Yeah. It's just not a fit. So, that's about that. And uh, anything about this Grizzlies game? It was just a scrimmage, really. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was probably. I need to go back and really dig into it, but it has to be one of the top five most boring Clippers games of this year. Um, yeah. I'd say it's an argument for the most boring, just because the outcome was so predictable. Even with Valanciunas, the Grizzlies just never had a chance to win that one. The Clippers knew it. The Grizzlies knew it, and. The entire game basically played out like that. The Clippers showed brief stretches of actually caring, and when they did so, they they won by a lot and got out to big leads. Um, but you know the Grizzlies are bad, and with Mike Conley playing at an All Star level, they were doing okay. But without him, it's just Valanciunas, who's a starting level center. And then two NBA rotation guys in DeLon Wright and Justin Holiday, And then a bunch of G League guys and youngsters, who some of whom have some promise, but I mean, they're not winning NBA games anytime soon against a solid playoff team at home. So 
Yeah, it was just it was very boring. I mean, the Clippers had some nice dunks. Montres Harrell ignited the crowd as always, and yeah, Lou had some fancy finishes. Gallo did his Gallo thing by getting to the line sixteen times mm-hmm. uh, against these Grizzlies youngsters who just had no clue how to defend him. But yeah, it was it was a really boring game. I had to do the recap, and I I just barely even knew what to say. I'm sorry. They just had that win from start to finish, and it played out exactly like that. But honestly, it's a good thing. That's the kind of win that right. the Clippers have needed and received all year, and that's what's really propelled propelled them to the playoffs. You see other teams like the Thunder and even the Spurs dropping some of these games, particularly the Thunder. And that's why they're in eighth right now and the Clippers are in sixth with, you know, four games to go for them. They're two and a half games up. It's because they've been winning these games uh, and they've been giving it their all. Well, if not their all, at least they've been not shitting the bed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a difference uh, this majority of the season makes. The last time the Clippers played the Grizzlies in L.A., the Grizzlies were very briefly the best team in the league, I want to say. They had a very, very one or two game stretch where they had the best record in the West, probably in the West. And uh, the Clippers were actually down by eight in that game. I went to that game and they were down by eight with like a minute and change left. And that's, that was the game where Gallinari got fouled on the three-pointer. And then Trez took over in overtime. Uh, Gasol, of course, and Conley were still on the team. Conley got fouled out. Avery Bradley had a huge defensive play down the stretch. Yeah. Temple was still on the Grizzlies, and he missed some threes, I want to say. Um, and that was, you know, the Clippers and the, and the Grizzlies look like mirror images of each other as far as their um, underdog mentality and their surprising records. Now they're still mirror images, but it's more so because the Clippers are 47 and 31 and the Grizzlies are 31 and 46. So that'll pretty much do that game. Um, Other games that we had this week, the Clippers had a nice win in Cleveland um, or against the Cleveland Cavaliers and what was also kind of a laugher. But I think it's worth talking about because Shea Gilgis-Alexander is our favorite person. Nine for 12 (laughs) from the field, three from three from three, one for two from the free throw line, which is what I like to call the new Shea watch. Uh, 80% free throw shooting. I want it badly. And uh, I think he's still out there. Eight assists, one turnover, and just a pure beast. Some highlight reel moves. He had that one awesome uh, Rondo-like move where he kind of threw it behind his back as a fake pass and then then went right and and laid it up with his left hand. Just ridiculous. And I think one of my buddies did compare him to Rondo as far as his elite finishing ability at the rim right now. And Rondo, people forget, Rondo in his prime was incredible at the rim. Like, he had these kind of flip shots when he wasn't afraid about getting hacked and going to the free throw line. He had shots like that, like kind of reminiscent of Shea. And uh, Shea is really showing out, man. Like, he's, uh, he's been shooting well from three. He shot fifty over 50% from the field from three this month. It's crazy. Over 50% from the field this month, too. 80% plus from the line. Um, really a great month for Shea, and I think he's really put it all together. I think I saw on your Twitter uh, his his uh, his pull up three being uh, being the highest uh, you could be on him, where he would dribble into a pull up three. Uh, what do you, what do you have to say about Shea Gilgis Alexander? How good is Shea going to be? Is he going to be? Is it is it kind of undercutting him to say, oh well, this guy can be an all star in two years, like Ralph always says? What what is his ceiling? I, I don't even know anymore. 
He has a very tricky ceiling because I think for him, it basically all comes down to shooting. He's already a plus defender, possibly a very plus defender. And I have every confidence he will be an all defense level player someday. Um, Maybe even if he doesn't get the actual award recognition, he will be at that level or close to it. I'm pretty confident about that. He's a pretty good to very good passer and playmaker, but not exceptional. He doesn't have the vision of a Trey Young or the passing chops of, you know, a Doncic who can pull off all these incredible passes. He's a good passer. He makes functional, competent NBA reads. Sometimes he makes pretty good passes, especially when he's driving and making interior passes to big men, mostly to Zubats uh, so far, you know, down the stretch here. And and makes some really nice one-handed passes in transition. He's found shame at a couple times for threes over the past week like that. But he's not an exceptional passer. I think both those things are kind of locked in. You can improve passing and playmaking, but there's a certain natural ceiling there, and I think he has one. Finishing, he's already a great finisher. Like, he can improve there as he muscles up and is able to finish through guys more instead of around them. But he's already really good there. That one basket you described is just mm. incredible not even the fake so much as his ability to finish with his left after going it's off incredible. his right. yeah. um, just an incredible move for a 20 year old rookie so a lot of stuff about him can be improved but is already good or has a definite ceiling so the thing with him is how good can his shooting be that's really what it comes down to if he can be a pretty good spot up shooter who can play off the ball and take threes of decently high volume as of right now that's I think like five to six a game um you know maybe in five years that number is way higher maybe in five to six years that's like seven or eight it's just medium volume and there are plenty of guys taking like 13 a game I have no idea but whatever medium volume is if he can shoot that just off spot ups and you know maybe a little off the dribble one dribble bounces. I think he could be an all-star level player if he's able to work on that dribble pull-up shot, which he's unleashed a couple times this year, but never so confidently Mm -hmm. or as smoothly as he did against the Cavs. If that becomes a regular tool in his arsenal and everything else about him does pan up. So not just that happens, but obviously his defense continues to improve, passing, rebounding, et cetera. I think he could be all NBA level. Um, Man, you know, that's if everything pans out. But I do think he has that ceiling, and I think for him, it really, it really all does come down to the shooting. I'm so mm-hmm. confident about everything else in his game developing. It's just that one thing because shooting, some guys are able to do it, some guys don't. Like Kawhi Leonard came into the NBA as not a non-shooter, but he was not a very good one, and he was able to improve even in his rookie year, and then. Now he's very good. He's hitting, you know, pull-up threes contested off the dribble. And you look at a guy like Paul George, Tobias Harris is a great example. Um, You know, none of these guys are Steph Curry, but they're all really good shooters. And they work that way in the NBA. They didn't come into NBA like that. So if Shea can get to that level, uh, yeah, the, the sky's the limit for him. There's, again, no way he's going to be a Steph Curry, Trey Young type because those that's just natural talent. But I, I could not be higher on Shea. And 
that's crazy because I still don't think I'd take him like top three in a redraft in this draft class. That's how good this draft class is. But yeah, I think he's yeah. certainly in the conversation for top five. And considering how stacked this class is, that's really, really saying something. He is not even close the best prospect the Clippers have had since Blake Griffin. Um, you know, we've been saying that basically all year, but now it's just like not even remotely uh, a conversation. Yeah. Um, I'm also really high on Shay. <laughs> I also don't think I would take him above, you know, Doncic or, or Trey Young probably. I mean, it's a kind of arguable with Trey Young, but it's tough. I mean, I think that I think this this draft class is going to be really incredible when we look back at it. I definitely think Doncic is going to be a better player. Um, that's maybe the only one I could say come with complete confidence for certain um, will be definitely better than Shea. It's kind of hard. I mean, I think I think uh, Trey Young and Bagley Bagley is going to be really good. Aiden, I don't know for certain how good he's going to be. Um, I think he'll put it together, but if he's going to be better than Shea, I don't know. Um, Wendell Carter, I mean, there, there's so many players that look super promising. Sexton, I think, is going to be a nice player, but who knows if he fixes his defensive deficiencies. Yeah. Um, just a fun class. We'll, we'll see, but I, I, I am very interested to see how good Shea can be. I don't know how good he's going to be. I, I don't even think I can say for certain because he could be, he could be really good, and he's already really good. I've He's probably my favorite player in the league. It's so funny. I, I've enjoyed him so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. So he's been he's, great to watch. He's been a lot of fun. And he's been a great kind of great person to take the pedestal for the Clipper Clipper fans to kind of look up to and watch as he's gone along. There were some nuggets in this game probably to pick out. Um Montres Harrell had another great game. Lou Williams buried the Cavs. We don't really yeah. need to talk about them too much. It's just kind of what they do to these crappy teams. Uh Jermichael Green was eight for nine, uh two or two from three, eighteen and ten. How how um do you think Jermichael Green is becoming a guy we really want to bring back at this point with his play? I mean I think the Clippers should definitely look into it. I do think he's definitely a guy where it all comes down to the price. If you can get him at a reasonable rate for a couple of years, absolutely. Seems to get along well with the guys. He's a great fit. But he's also not a particularly special talent. I mean, he's just a pretty good backup power forward and maybe a small ball center, though the Clippers haven't really played him there very much. So... I think he's been great for the Clippers so far. I do wonder if some of that is just him being on a bit of a hot streak from three, but I've actually really liked his rebounding too. I think he's been yeah. a big upgrade there over Mike Scott. And I, his defense is also a little bit better, I think, but he's been, he's been really good again. Like he's not young really. I think he's like 28 kind of in his prime. Yeah. And, like there's not really much development growth there, but he fits in really well with the, the vibe this team has set. So I think, yeah, if they can get him for two years, you know, 12 million or something, sure. Um, I don't think he's exactly a priority, but maybe he should be. It also really depends on what other players the Clippers are able to get this summer in free agency. If their superstar is a power forward, like 
or, or a wing, more a bigger wing like Kevin Durant, for example, I think Jamichael is somewhat less important because right. Katie and Gallo would get all the minutes at the four. If it's Kawhi, who's somewhat smaller wing, I think it might be a bit better to bring him back. So it, it really depends. But yeah, I mean, I think he's been really, really good. And I'm very happy that Doc has kept him in the rotation and not benched him in favor of Wilson Chandler, though I'm still a little sad that Ty Wallace has gone to the bench. But mm-hmm. Jamichael's just been way too good to sit down, and he's going to be a big part of this team in the playoffs. He's going to be playing probably the seventh most minutes on the team, maybe. You know, he's going to be the third guy off the bench behind Lou and Trez. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a decent possibility that if they're in a series where they need to go small a lot, he could even get more minutes than guys like Zubats or Shamit. So yeah. we'll see. But I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's been really fun to just go back and forth and think which trade was the best for the Clippers in terms of what what they've been able to do after the deadline. And to some extent, just in terms of thinking about this year and this team, I think the Avery Bradley for Temple and Green trade might have been the best of all. Obviously, it's wow. not as important for the future as getting Zubats or especially Shamit. But just in terms of this year, getting rid of Bradley and then adding two guys who are much better in Temple and Green has been massive. And mm-hmm. yeah, just cannot say enough about the Clippers front office and building this team. Yeah, just really, really incredible stuff. Uh, speaking of Wilson Chandler, uh, he had a decent plus minus in this game. Had a nice little hot streak in that Milwaukee game. Has looked a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more active. Um, can kind of see his role a little bit better in this team. Of course, neither of us are going to like the fact that he's playing in front of Ty. But knowing that Doc loves his vets and loves his shooting this season, Wilson Chandler's fit with the team going forward. I mean, he's still redundant alongside Jermichael Green. I think we both agree with that. But he's looking a little bit better, a little more dynamic. You know, he's grabbed some nice boards. He's looking a little more comfortable. Not shooting nearly where we'd want him to be shooting. But aside from that, I mean, he's looking a little more active. What do you think about Wilson Chandler? And and can we make peace with the fact that this guy is going to play, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a game in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to at this point. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, he does look somewhat better. I just I, – I remain unconvinced that the fit is any good. I still think the Clippers need defense and ball handling from that last spot more than they need shooting, especially when that shooter is not a particularly great shooter, just – you know, an average one, which is basically what Wilson Chandler's been his entire career, is an average three-point shooter. But I'm resigned to it, and if he's going to play, I'm at least happy he's looking a little bit better. I think he's at least solid on the glass, which, just like with Jermichael Green, is a very nice bonus. It's good to have good rebounders who aren't big men, especially since Trez is often overwhelmed there. And he actually had a few really nice passes against the Grizzlies, yeah, he looked up and made these full court passes. I think one was to Green and one was to Trez for easy layups on the other end. Sometimes he just holds on to the ball a little too long. He has Gallo yeah. syndrome there, mm-hmm. uh, which is funny because they've played together for like nine or ten years, like most of their careers. Um, but overall, he hasn't been horrible the past few games. I still think his defense is not very good, and 
if he's not hitting outside shots, it's brutal because he gets open, open, open looks. Teams would rather him take threes than Lou Williams or Landry Shamit or probably even Jamichael Green at this point. I think teams mm-hmm. probably think Green is a bigger threat from three. So he's going to be open, and he really needs to make them. And so far, outside of that one supernova quarter against the Bucks, where he went five of six from three, he's yeah. going to face cold from three, like 14% level. And obviously he'll get better, but he needs to hit. If he's getting wide open shots alongside Lou and Trez in that pick and roll, and he's just spacing the floor, he needs to hit like 37, 38% of them. And I just don't know if he's that good. I'm but, just glad we're I'm just glad we're not closing games with him. So I don't yeah, mind him yeah. getting some spot minutes, but and I can kind of see it a little bit more. You know, he is a decent big body to rebound, rebound. But it's just you're right. I mean, still a bit of a misfit. But I, I, it can be worse, so it's okay. I'm not the most upset. I can kind of see it. So as long as I can kind of see it, you know, I could not understand Avery Bradley whatsoever for the life of me. But Wilson Chandler can kind of get a little bit more. So I'm I'm trying to make peace with it. Um, Patrick Beverly's cold shooting recently. Yes. Is it is it something you're concerned about coming off that hit pointer? Not really. I think he probably just needs a few days to rest it um, because he hasn't looked the same at all. If it was just shooting, I'd be a little more concerned. But he's also had some bad turnovers. I just don't think he's 100% healthy. And honestly, I know Doc said they're not trying to rest guys and every game is really important now. But mm-hmm. for that Lakers game, which the Clippers just absolutely have to win at, the, the Lakers are missing like all six of their best players right now. Yeah. Um, I think that could be a good game to sit Beverly because he does not look quite right to me. Maybe having two days off, you know, today and tomorrow before the Rockets game will help him because there's nothing that's going to keep him away from that Rockets game. Right. Um, like Doc would have to physically restrain him. <laughs> uh, so, Maybe the Lakers game, but I really hope it's just he's still a little banged up and just needs a bit of rest. And I think there will also be another few games off between the end of the regular season and the playoffs so that can help get him right. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's had some really rough turnovers. He hasn't had quite the same burst. So just fingers crossed it's not a really lingering injury and it's just that he's still a bit bruised. But I, I, yeah. just, I just hope it's nothing a little more serious than what we've been led to believe. Yeah, I mean, hit pointers aren't terribly serious, but we'll see. Uh, you're right. He's still kind of uh, ill. Uh, not ill, but he's a kind of off sorts recently. So hopefully the rest, these next couple of days, will give him some good rest. He'll definitely be hyped for that Rockets game. We'll talk about the Rockets in a second. Before we leave these, next, these last few games, um, Jerome Robinson has been playing a bit better. He's getting some playing time. He's been featured a little bit more as a playmaker which is kind of the role I think that is belonging to him in the future he's been looking pretty good um your takes on Jerome Robinson (laughs) he's obviously not ready for any significant role on this team but you know he's looked a little more competent I think Doc has tried to put the ball in his hands in garbage time Mm -hmm. and and uh, I I don't have much else to say I, I still think he's ultimately uh, a playmaking type of scoring guard. Uh, whether or not he really fulfills his promise, it's hard to say right now. But it's nice to see a little bit of promising signs to him. He's missed some wide open shots, which, which is, is not good. Yeah, not good at all. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's just stressed, but it feels like he should be making them. So, uh, his form looks I, good. You know, yeah, 
he looks good. He looks like a shooter. Um, not quite like Shamit does, but he looks like a shooter. I thought, I think it was Don McLean was on the Grizzlies call, but he and Ralph were talking a little bit about Jerome, who, you know, about how he needs to make shots and how his career will look if he doesn't make shots. And <laughs> it kind of got a little, not dark, but. That's Don McLean for you, man. They, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Um, but it didn't seem to. Th- I didn't get the impression that they were super high on him. Um, you know, I thought there was a hint of if he doesn't get his act together next year, that could be kind of the end of the road for him, which mm. I probably was taking things just how I see them and not what actually was said. Um, but I didn't really get the sense that there was much gushing about him. They were talking about how Shea has had this opportunity to play all these minutes right. and been such a mm-hmm. big role, and Jerome hasn't, how that must be tough for him. And I agree. Like, I think it probably is really tough for Jerome. And then they were talking about how Sh- Shamit has come in as basically a very similar type of player and started. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. But yeah. I think all that goes to show is that the opportunity was there for Jerome. He just yeah. didn't take it, which is ultimately on him. Like, I do feel bad. It's definitely a very rough situation for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm sure that probably doesn't help his confidence, but ultimately like he just needs to be better. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Again, like I still have hopes for him. I think he does look like a shooter. I like some of his ability to drive. He's has some ball handling and playmaking skills. So Mm -hmm. I'm not, he has some some feel of like pick and rolls too. Yeah. 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 I, I'm not out on him. I just, all the fans calling for him to get minutes down the stretch and in the playoffs is just, no. I just think that Shamit has crushed everything of that. I, I can't imagine how you're thinking Jerome Robinson needed minutes or why isn't Jerome Robinson playing where Landry Shamit just immediately showed you that he needed minutes. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just night and day. So like Garrett Temple started the first two games after the trade deadline. And Shamit was hitting every shot in sight. I mean, obviously, he was a big part of that Celtics comeback, but even the next game. And Doc started him because, you know, Doc has been really good this season at at managing the team and starting guys when they should be outside of uh, Avery Bradley. Um, (laughs) Even Ty, and I love Ty, but he hadn't been playing particularly well in that stretch. I I agree with that. I mean, I do think the Wilson Chandler is partially that he's this respected veteran sure, right if it was right. an exact same guy with his skill set named joe blow who's been in the nba for two years <laughs> you know i don't think he'd be he'd be getting the rope that he has with how he's been playing but right yeah i mean i think shamit played and i don't think they expected him to be a massive part of the team I and mean, i think they thought he would be this rotation guard off the bench who would play 15 minutes and all of a sudden it's like no this guy can shoot well really shoot and he yeah. started Jeez. games later and has yeah. been averaging what, like 28 minutes a game probably. Yeah. And he's, he's averaging double seven. figures. Like he's playing well. So yeah. Sorry, I mean, sorry Jerome. Yeah. It, you know, it is what it is. I'm not out on Jerome, but yeah, I'm, I'm out on him getting rotation minutes this season. I just, he does look better, but garbage time in March does very, very little for me. Yeah. Anyways, I think that'll do it for these games. Uh, the Clippers also played the Timberwolves, and they won. 
Uh, they went up 42 to 23 in that first quarter, just kind of blitzed the Timberwolves, who, you know, they're not particularly filled with, you know, Derrick Rose or, or Jeff Teague. Uh, but I don't even know if Derrick Rose is a positive impact player. I guess he is, right? But it, less Derrick Rose means more Carl Anthony Towns, and Towns did not play very well in that game. Right. Shot six He's for seventeen. Lately. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Saric had a nice game, uh, and Wiggins actually played decently. But the Clippers played well. That was kind of a nice – they pretty much just got ahead a lot, and really they kind of played the Wolves – to more or less a standstill the rest of the way, if not got slightly outplayed by the Wolves. So really, they played really well in that first quarter, kind of blitzed them. Uh, Lou Will had – Lou Will, Trez. I mean, it's just the same stuff over and over again. They just constantly – they just feast on these mediocre teams, especially Lou. He just – I think he dropped like 44 or something on the Wolves the last time they were in Minnesota in a loss. Yeah. So it's just uh, – yeah, that, that's just another bad team the Clippers kind of handled. Another nice nice thing. Uh, the the Bucks game was a lot of fun in the fact that the Clippers just didn't go away, made some runs. Shea had a really great third quarter, uh, 21 into six boards and shot well. He is prone to doing these days. But I don't think there's much to say about that game. I mean, they weren't going to win that game without Lou. So, yeah. Um, I think it's worth talking about the schedule upcoming and, of course, this Rockets game. The Rockets could be feel almost like our most likely playoff yep. person, team, to play, <laughs> uh, which, which is, yeah, opponent, which is kind of stressful because I, I think the Rockets are going to beat us pretty badly. I, I think we match up with them in a lot of ways, mostly because they have bench. smaller guards and, and we have guards that can guard them and our bench just – would destroy their bench. But, of course, the playoffs are when... Yeah, Tony is going to play, like, six guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, this Rocket game, we can kind of probably talk about it a little bit and kind of maybe talk a little bit about the possible future fit between playing the Rockets, too, uh, in a playoff series. Not that I... You know, we won't know for certain what's going to happen for sure until until uh, Wednesday, next Wednesday, when the, the Clippers play the Jazz and what could be a pretty massive game. Um, but the Rockets and playing the Rockets and a series against the Rockets, we don't know if it's going to happen for sure yet. But that whole series, what do you? I really what do you don't think? want it to happen. <laughs> I mean, not only do I think the Clippers would get killed, which I do think. Yeah. Like you know, they do have, like you said, they have some advantages. I think all things considered, Temple, Shea, and Beverly are three pretty good guards to throw at CP Harden and Eric Gordon. And there are no real soft bots for either of those guys on defense. Like I think they'd probably put Harden on Beverly or Shea, but I just, Harden is too good and playoff woes and previous years aside, I just don't want any part of him in the playoffs. I think, Zubats is a better matchup for Capella than like Gortat or Boban were, but it's still not great. And I just, I don't know. Depth is important in the playoffs, but it matters less against the Rockets because D'Antoni will shrivel his rotation if need be. Like Harden is probably going to play what, like 44 minutes a game in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Chris Paul will be a little less so just because he's old and is like always injured nowadays. But I mean, you have to think Paul will play at least like 
36-37-2. Capella's probably going to play like 30-35. I mean, Kenneth Fareed and, you know, other bench scrubs, like Nene, Kenneth Fareed and Nene are not getting huge minutes against Montrose Harrell. Like, this no. is not going to happen. Um, like, I think it's freaky enough and dependent on the three and ISO enough that the Clippers could win a game or two, but I have like zero confidence that they win a series against Houston, especially since Houston has home court advantage. And also I just don't want the narratives. Like if the Clippers lose, it'll be like, Oh, they traded away their superstar. And even though they've done well, the superstar teams win. I don't want Mm -hmm. that nonsense. I don't want the doc Austin conversation to pop up yet again in whatever stupid way it will <laughs> right when this series happens i just i don't want any of the drama or the storylines that are going to happen from this series and it's probably what's going to happen i do think it would actually be a pretty fun series to watch but i just don't like it at all um honestly if they're going to play a team that's more likely to beat them compared to, say, the Blazers, who I think they have a legitimate chance of beating. I'd rather just they just play the Nuggets. That will be a super fun series to watch. Right. They'd have pretty low expectations. The Nuggets are clearly a higher seed and have been the better team all season. They have the superstar in Jokic. I think the Clippers would at least have, you know, a reasonable chance of winning the series and just and or just making it really competitive and hard fought. And... It, well, there wouldn't be any idiotic storylines. So I'd much rather play them than the Rockets. I think the Rockets are probably the team I'd least like to face. Maybe even less than the Warriors, honestly, because even though the Clippers could make it a better show of it against the Rockets, I just don't want those narratives and storylines. And I also think sneakily they would have zero expectations against the Warriors. So I think they could actually rise to the occasion a little bit. But yeah. Uh, I don't want to play the Rockets like at all. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of thought that the Rockets could catch the Nuggets and they're two and a half games back. So it's going to be pretty tough. I don't think the Nuggets have a pretty tough schedule. I don't know how the head to head is between the Rockets and the, uh, and the Nuggets, but gosh, I wish, I wish we could play the Nuggets more. So I wish we were kind of in a place to play them. I, I've kind of, I've kind of gave given a pulp in the idea that we'll play, um, you know, the Blazers or someone like that. Maybe we can somehow fluke into that, but I, I don't, I doubt it. I feel like it's going to be the Rockets. Hopefully not. Um, but yeah, I, I also don't like the matchup. I'm tired of the whole, I do think the idea of if the Clippers can see the game in Houston, that, that the Rockets could get a little tight, especially Paul, that would be a fun thing to see, but I, it would be tough for me to see the Clippers winning a game in Houston in those first two games. I, I don't think that would happen. If it did, it would be, it would be exciting. I think after that, that that would be exciting. Obviously I still think that they would probably split the games in LA most likely if that happened, but um, that would be a fun series in that sense. But I think the Rockets are just, are just too good and they're kind of rolling. So I am not so into that series, but it seems like it might be the one that's going to happen. So Wednesday I'm excited for the game, fun. though. I think the game the, the game will be great. Yeah, the game will be a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I still like watching Paul. Like, I, I like watching Chris Paul play. So yep. it'll be fun to watch him. I hate James Harden, like, a lot. He's one of my <laughs> least favorite. He's one of my least favorite players in the league, like, by far. If not my least favorite player. I just – I don't like watching him play basketball. I don't – I understand how people – no, he's obviously gifted and talented and one and probably the best offensive player in the league, but God, what an awful offense to watch. So 
that's uh, that's that game. Um, the Clippers also play the Lakers on Friday and the Warriors uh, in the last game in Oracle, I want to say, on Sunday, right? So it's the last regular season game in Oracle. Yeah, so that should be a loss. <laughs> but the, the yeah. Laker game hopefully will be a win. The Warriors might have nothing to play for by Sunday, but you would imagine that they're going to they're gonna show up for the last game in Oracle. So Yeah, they're not resting anybody for that. Yeah. And the crowd is going to be insane. I'm sure Steph Curry is going to hit like 33s and set a new season, you know, career record, whatever record is going to happen. That is probably a loss. But the game I'm really excited for, to be honest, is that last game because Bill Walton will be calling. Oh, and Bill Walton. So I'm good. so excited for that. Like, what is he going to do when Lou Williams hits like a crazy floater or Montrezl dunks through people like, the metaphors and the and the uh, and the assemblies are going to be just off the charts. I'm so yeah, busy. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, I just I don't know about the, their schedule here. I think the Lakers game has to be a win because those other three games are really tough. Yeah, um, and that Utah game could be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what what do you think the most? So you think the most likely scenario is. Clippers finish six, Rockets finish three. Yeah, at this yeah. rate. Yeah. Ugh, I, I wish they could play the Blazers somehow. Yeah, I mean, there is a scenario where the Clippers could still get the third seed if they if they win out, but it's just super unlikely. Good thing about that is they kind of control their destiny in a lot of ways by playing the Rockets and the Jazz, but yep. um, it just seems unlikely. I would imagine that maybe – Maybe two and two in this stretch if they're if they're fortunate even like they're gonna I lose think that two is reasonable yeah they're gonna lose that Warriors game and I I think I almost feel like they're gonna lose that Jazz game the Rockets are gonna be on a Sega Baba so they're gonna be they're playing the Kings tomorrow in, in Sacramento I believe which is gonna tire them out so we have a chance to beat the Rockets on Wednesday uh, just because we'll be totally rested that Jazz game. We'll have plenty of rest too. We just don't match up well against them, and they've already they've destroyed us in LA once before. It was a huge blowout uh, that game um, that wasn't wasn't uh, terribly long ago. We did have different pieces as when we still had Tobias, I believe, but still that was a pretty bad loss. And they're just kind of too long. Gobert is a matchup nightmare, uh, even now still is even with Zubat. So. Yeah, I just—it's not a great matchup. So that's going to be a huge game. If they can win this, if they can win this Rockets game, um, then it'll be super exciting. They could maybe, they could maybe uh, have a higher seed. So we'll see. It's going to be—it's going to be a fun end of the year. I think we can get to the Twitter questions now. Yeah, we have a handful. Uh, so the first one is, let me see here, from at Burba Nine. Is Elmin Alhassan a b-ball dingbat? Uh, his <laughs> on the jump today questioning the Clippers' offense was hilarious. So I did not see that clip, but I hate Elmin Alhassan. He seems like an asshole. Um, I don't particularly care for his basketball opinions either. I wouldn't say I hate him. I don't know him personally. Right. Uh, but I'm not a fan of him as a personality or as a Twitter personality. And, yeah, his basketball takes are unremarkable to me. So if he says something stupid about the Clippers' offense, I would not be surprised. Yeah, um, he's just kind of a troll, and he tries to be a troll, which is a shame because he's he has a bunch of basketball IQ. He 
he was in the front office for the Suns, I want to say. And uh, he clearly knows what he's doing, but he kind of comes off a lot like a, like a Skip Bayless type where he just kind of get tries to get reactions. And I think it sucks because I think he knows a lot more than Bayless does. But he, he, uh, he goes for reactions a lot. And, and uh, it's a shame because when he kind of calms down and talks about the game, you could tell like he knows what he's doing, what he's talking about, and he's been kind of seasoned. But he definitely has a thing against like Doc Rivers and the Clippers and the whole like it's the Clippers mentality and he like riles that up. He had that whole flow chart with Doc Rivers and which was you know, kind of funny with that. If did they play for the Clippers? Did they beat the Celtics? Did they then come on to the Clippers? And I remember that was a whole that was a whole bit. Unfortunately, he's just he's just kind of looking for fishing for reactions and probably does a lot of that on the jump. So yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's not the best person to listen to, especially if you're a Clipper fan, he doesn't really have that much of substance, unfortunately. Yeah. Next question. Great question from at JWAP six. How would you guys rank your favorite Clipper players this season? Oh, really tough because the whole team has been fun. I don't think now that Avery Bradley uh, is gone. I don't think there's, <laughs> a player on this Clippers team who either of us dislike. Um, mm-hmm. I like all of these guys. I know we both, you know, kind of dumped on Wilson Chandler at times, and I've probably, you know, Jerome Robinson, and Darius Thornwall, but I like all these guys. They all seem like, you know, they're all pretty fun to watch. They all play really hard. They seem to, you know, be about the right things on and off the court. Personal favorites, do you want to go first? I mean, Shea is my favorite. Um after Shay, after Shay is tough because I love. I think Lou is the most important player on the team, but as far as just watchability, Shay is number one. I I, I want to say that maybe, gosh, number two is really hard because I, I love Shamit. I love watching Shamit run off the ball. It reminds me, you know, so much of JJ Redick, and I and Redick was my favorite player to watch on the Clippers, especially those late Clipper seasons after I kind of got over. Uh, the Chris Paul shine a little bit. I love watching JJ. I, I love watching the Trez, uh, Lou Williams pick and roll. I think I think Trez and Beverly are almost kind of like a tie as far as maybe 2A, 2B, <laughs> maybe 2C with Shabbat. I love watching those three so much uh, for very, very different reasons. Trez and Beverly for similar reasons, but Trez more so because of his offensive tenacity and his occasional defensive tenacity and Beverly just because he never stops and he's the heart of the team it's really hard for me to rank him entirely but if you told me I had to rank them I'd probably go Shea um maybe Trez Beverly slash Shamit Lou oh, I can't leave I can't put Lou that low Gallinari I'm not even talking about yeah I just I can't it's the yeah, team it's is so much. Shea is definitely number one though favorite Clippers players this season I think Shea is probably number one for me, too. After that, I will commit, and I'll say Ty Wallace. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Look at you. You're just you're on that island, real estate everywhere. Just bought it up. You no, know, uh, I do love Ty, but I probably wouldn't rank him that high. I think <laughs> Lou is probably number two for me. I love watching Lou Williams play basketball. As, no, as shitty as his defense is, and honestly, his defense the past couple weeks, I think, has been even worse yeah. than usual. Really it's bad. Really bad. Um, yeah. And I don't know if he's just not trying or if he's tired or he's I don't know. Tired. But it's it's been really bad. Uh, but on offense, like I just 
I could watch Lou Williams play basketball forever. <laughs> um, three, I think I'd probably go with Beverly just because Pat Beverly is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Or Trez. I think we have, you know, the same four guys in some order, except I, I like watching Shamit, but I wouldn't say he's a favorite. And then I'll stick tie at five. Um, poor, poor Gallo. Gallo deserves more love on this pot. I agree. He's just not my favorite. I just, yeah. he's good. I don't think his game is that fun to watch, but it, Gallo has been amazing the past few weeks. It's the best stretch of his entire career. And the guys had a pretty good career. Um, he's I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, along with Lou, like Gallo and Lou are the two most skilled players yeah. on this team. Yeah, Gallo so. is a, a boss, to use he's the Zach Lowe a, term. He is a boss. Um, so here's an interesting – didn't we talk about this last week? Do you think – I still think – I'm more certain than ever that I would put Gallo on an all-NBA team over LeBron James. I mean, yeah, at this point, what, LeBron has 55 games on him, like – and Gallo is going to – Gallo's cracked 60, right? Like, gonna if you're going to punish guys for, like, you know, not being on good teams, like, that should apply to LeBron. The Lakers are awful. It's true. That's true. And he's, he's been a big part of that through both not playing defense and through all of his shenanigans, you know, with, with the trades and just the leadership and, like, give it to Gallo. Like, honestly, it would be I incredible. I wish they would. They really the should. The problem is that LeBron would be so pissed off, like, next season. I just – shudder to think what he's going to do to the Clippers mm-hmm. but I mean it, it's not going to happen LeBron's going to get it but yeah LeBron will get it it's okay Gallo like, should. Gallo's Gall- numbers are incredible um he's been amazing this year Gallo's uh, been but, awesome even for his like even for his prime you wouldn't have really figured he'd shoot this well from three he's just he's going crazy he's been amazing and especially this past month he's been awesome I, I don't think he'll get player of the month because he's missed a couple of games but he would if he did play those games. Like he's. Been, I honestly think he might for the West. He might I don't still know get, it. get yeah. it. That's true. He might still get it. I mean, the Clippers have the best record in the league, right? So yeah. Shea might get Rookie of the Month, Doc could get Coach of the Month, and Gallo could get Player of the Month. It would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so at Clip City to us, in a playoff series against Houston, are we better off letting Carden take open jumpers rather than contest and, and foul him while our players get buried in foul trouble? you still have to contest because the last thing you want is for him to get in a rhythm and just start draining threes. Um, you just have to be careful. I think the Clippers have guys who do have a tendency to foul, which is dangerous against Harden, but you just can't let him fire away. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers have already had a template for guarding Harden in that Rocket series. He didn't play particularly well that series. In fact, he was on the bench when they made that huge comeback. And obviously, he's not the, he's not just the same player but I think the strategy just remains the same. You have to kind of you have to guard him, but you can't be physical. You, Beverly is a is a bad matchup for Harden because he's just going to foul out Beverly. Like Beverly's too physical. Like Beverly's going to be hyped, and he's obviously he's going to know a lot of Harden's tricks. They play together for so long, but I feel like Harden is going to get Beverly in foul trouble so quickly. I almost wonder if I almost wonder if Shea. Or even Shamit at times would be an interesting kind of decoy for Harden. He'll drive right into Shamit, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you can kind of get away playing some spot minutes, uh, Shamit on Harden because Harden isn't particularly a great. He's not particularly great finishing at the rim, and the the whole thing that the Clippers did last time with the whole Redick scheme was just Redick just knew not to foul him. They give him his space and knew that he could funnel him into DJ, and you could maybe think of a kind of a similar scheme with this 
with uh, with whoever defends Harden and funneling him in, into uh, Zubat, who's really great at verticality. So it's going to be interesting because I feel like Doc has already kind of had an, an idea of how to guard Harden. Obviously, it's not going to stop him, but I think there's a template there for how to guard him. So I think mean, the Bucks also had an interesting template on how to guard him, and they were pretty yeah, successful. Yeah, with blood, so, yeah. With blood, so I don't know. I don't know. He's he's clearly just gonna he's gonna get his numbers eventually, if, you know, just fine. But I do think there's some players on this team that can guard their guards, and they just need to guard them smart. So, yeah. um, next question from at SNR Ward: Saw that this Clips team is the fourth team ever to 45 wins with no current or former All Stars. Was curious what the most other recent instance was, who and when. I have no idea. I wonder if the Nuggets, the Nuggets team that won fifty six games a couple years ago with Gallo too. I don't know if they had any former. I know nobody on their team made it that year, but I think wasn't Iggy on that team, and Iggy made an All Star game. I think yeah, Iggy was on that team, and then he left the next year. For yeah, but he was a former All Star, right? Um, so I, I think that he. I really have no count. idea. Yeah, I feel like he'd count. I don't know. I feel like that should be a stat that is just floating out there. But yeah, Iggy was an all-star. So I, I think that that would disqualify them. It's yeah. crazy. This is kind of a crazy... I can't think of... I can't think of... Did I have Baron, no idea. Did Baron, idea. Baron Davis made all-star teams, right? With the, yeah. with the Hornets. Yeah, so... Yeah, he did. Yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure. I would think maybe that Warriors team would be my next bet, but then... the then Davis made all-star games. So, yeah, yeah just no I, I don't know. No clue. I don't know. Um, yeah, next question from my dad, uh, Richard Flom. Likelihood Clips win 50 games. Did anyone suggest even the remotest possibility of this? I think the likelihood they go 3-1 and one is pretty low, which would be what they need for 50 wins. Um, you know, I would completely rule it out. I think they should win the Lakers game. I could see them winning two of the other three. I, I wouldn't bet on it, but I could see it. I'd say it's like a fairly low likelihood, like 10% maybe. Um, yeah. And did anyone suggest this? I mean, I don't think anybody in the national media did. I think there were Clippers fans who thought so. There was in our Clips Nation roundtable, there's some Clips Nation writers who had them at 48, which is again, not 50, but it's pretty close. So I think some Clippers people were on the ball there, but I did not see – I don't think I saw anybody with 50. I did not think that this team would win. I thought the team would yeah. maybe win 44, and that was kind of semi-optimistic. Maybe 45, but I didn't think – I thought they would – they had a chance to win more than they won last year because they were so injured. Injured, But that would also bank on Gallo being healthy, and I, I didn't expect him to be this good either. So I, I, I did not see this coming. This has been such a – such a joy of a Clipper season for me and for like all Clipper fans. It's just been so unexpected. And like, I, I needed this season, man. I'm out here in Iowa, like in residency, <laughs> like I come back and I watch these games. Like I love these games. They've been like very, very uh, therapeutic. So these games have been, have been awesome. It's been a really great Clipper season. Yeah. That's actually a perfect transition into the next question from John Flores at JK Flores 157. Many longtime fans have expressed that this season has been their favorite of all time. Can you expand a bit on how truly special this season has been in regards to the team culture, players, coaching, front office, ownership, and growth and perception of the franchise, etc.? So this pod is already running a bit long, <laughs> as, as always. So I don't want to go too far in depth. But I think 
this has been, in terms of meeting and exceeding expectations, I don't think the Clippers have ever had a season like this. I think, I don't think they've ever been more popular just in terms of people around the NBA and fans being like, wow, the Clippers are really fun. They're really likable. We like the Clippers. Like stuff like this has never happened before. You can maybe throw in the Darius Miles, Quentin right. Richardson teams of the early 2000s, but I was a different age. It was pre-social media and those teams were okay, but they were yeah. never nearly as good as this team. Um, yeah. So this has just been special. The Clippers have never had a season quite like this. Seasons like this just don't come around very much. I think they've exceeded expectations in just about every single way outside of the Clamp City thing, which fell apart due to Avery Bradley sucking and <laughs> being injured the entire year. I think everything else has happened. Gallo's been healthy and awesome. Lou Williams and Trez have been a historically good bench unit. Um, and credit to the other guys, too. It's not just them, but they've been the linchpins of it, obviously. Shea has been, you know, one of the best Clippers prospects of all time, really, this season. He looks so good. Um, Shamit has been great. Zubats has been great since those guys came over. It's just, And then as to the bigger stuff, you know, Dockers, I think, I wouldn't say he's the frontrunner for Coach of the Year, but he's certainly in the top three conversation right now. He's It's one of the best coaching performances the Clippers have ever had. I think their front office is absolutely one of the best in the NBA. What they did at the trade deadline is one of the best deadlines I can ever remember, not just for Clippers history. It's the best deadline in Clippers history, but it's yeah. the best I can just remember around the NBA, like A-plus stuff. And, yeah, it's it's been a great season, and there are legitimate threats to get top-tier superstar free agents this summer. It's not just smoke. It's not just – you know, rumors and wishy-washing and, you know, stuff in the shadows they legitimately have chances for. I don't know if they actually get it, you know, get those guys, but it's legitimate and it all speaks to how much this franchise has grown. So much of that credit goes to Steve Ballmer and Doc Rivers um, and the guys they've brought in, you know, that means Lawrence Frank, obviously Jerry West, Michael Winger, Trent Redden, um, you know, the whole crew, but it's been a great season. I mean, yeah. I mean, just from top to bottom, the team has been incredible. There isn't a bad guy in the bunch. Yeah, those that Darius Miles team was a really fun and special, the Lamar Odom, Darius Miles, Q Richardson team. But they sucked. Like, they weren't very good. They were just mediocre at best, and they missed the playoffs. I think maybe 39 and 43. And then they were much worse a year later. Um, the Elton Brand teams were a lot of fun. But – still some uneasiness to them. I mean, it was still a Donald Sterling team. Elgin Baylor fluked into coach executive of the year, even though he'd been so terrible for so long, that always felt kind of weird. Um, and the team, you know, the team had an, an air of sustainability at the time because brand was young. Cayman was young. Cassell wasn't particularly young, but Sean Livingston was coming to his own. So that team fell apart sooner than expected. You know, of course, brand, tore his Achilles uh, the year after the next one and came in just became more of a <laughs> like ball stopping came in rather than the defensive type of presence he was that year Cassell left for the Celtics so that team was special too in its own way but not from top to bottom like this one the Chris Paul era Clippers eventually got done in by their own kind of stubbornness you know so and eventually the joy from watching that team didn't evaporate but it was it was harder to kind of just watch the team 
fall into the same patterns, you know? So that team, as much of a joy as they were in their prime, just watching, just watching, you know, the same product over and over again, it was tough for a lot of Clipper fans, especially you could feel the tense, how tense the team was. And that was unfortunate because it was a really special team. And, and as much as I love Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, like I totally understood why people didn't like those players, you know, like, they did complain all the time. They're always complaining to the refs and just their style of play could sometimes be really infuriating. And I love them. I still love them. They'll always be favorites of mine, but you can kind of objectively see why teams got annoyed with them and why fan bases didn't like them. I don't, I don't feel that with this team. You know, I feel like I don't understand how anybody could dislike this Clipper team. They're just a bunch of dudes who are kind of overshadowed and, do their roles and play well together. So it's just, and the front office is just from top to bottom, just quality, smart dudes who know the game of basketball, to quote Al Camino. And it's just been so much fun. Doc Rivers has just reinvented himself. Steve Ballmer is so much fun to watch, just enjoying games and enabling the right people. It's just been, it's been such a transformation of this team since Donald Sterling really got booted out it's just been one thing after the other and culminating in maybe you know a big fish this summer so it's been a really great time to be a clipper fan and yeah i just i love i love it it's been it's been a lot of fun you can really just keep your head high with this team and with this franchise so i don't know if this has been my favorite clippers team it's certainly up there i think a couple of the early lob city years yeah. might give me honestly that very first lob city team might be yeah. my favorite um they were just so much fun to watch the sky seemed like the absolute limit um you know it's hard to think of now but chris paul was only what like 26 when he came over blake griffin and dj were still really young the future was theirs for the taking and it didn't end up happening but it didn't make it any less exciting when they won how many games was it like 53, 54, whatever made it the second round of the playoffs. Right. Um, you know, all the dunks and the lobs, uh, that, that one quarter or that one minute and a half stretch where they hit four threes and like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that, that team was just incredible. And, you know, yeah, it was, I mean, I remember when Karan Butler and Chauncey Billups were choosing to sign with the Clippers and, mm-hmm. Neither of those guys were particularly good for the Clippers, but they were still big name veterans who still had, you know, were not quite at the end of their careers yet, or people didn't think so anyway. And they were choosing to sign with the Clippers. It was kind of a, a landmark moment. Um, and that team is just a lot of fun, even with Vinny Del Negro at the helm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if this is quite my favorite, but it's certainly up there. They're probably the most fun. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to see how, if, you know, if all this talk and all the hype really pays off this summer, even if they don't get one, I still doesn't, I still don't think that means they haven't done things right. I, they can do everything right and just not get the guys, but hopefully when push comes to shove, they get their co-op. That Oklahoma city game that you referenced, it was probably Pete Clippers. It was probably the the most like hopeful moment the Clippers have had so far in their franchise where you just thought, man, this team might just win the championship. Like that team, 
that moment, you know, was incredible. It was, it was everything you could hope for with the team. And, you know, unfortunately the team didn't capitalize it. You know, the Spurs series, as much as I, as much as I loved the Clippers in that year and, and I was full of hope in the Rocket series, they were going to get demolished by the Warriors. Like maybe not demolished, but they were going to lose that series. They were running on fumes. Like they were, they just were exhausted. They, their, yeah. their number one bench guy was like big baby Davis and he was playing on a broken foot. So I just, the, and Austin Rivers, of course, was their other bench guy, but still like Never forget that, that team just, that team was just going to fall apart. Even if they did, they did against the Rockets. They would have done it against the Warriors. It would have been more of a, a you know, enjoying conclusion to the season to lose to the Warriors and, be the conference finals but yeah right right but still that it's not like that team was going to win a championship even though their odds in vegas very briefly hit number one with that 3-1 lead and with the i think the uh the warriors were down 2-1 at the moment to, to the, the grizzlies, grizzlies. Yeah. So yeah very very briefly the clippers did have the best title odds uh in the league but that went for not I, I i don't think we were more hopeful than you know i even think the warriors series beating the warriors and that that Oklahoma City comeback uh, against them was another pretty hopeful moment. And maybe when Chris Paul hit that jumper to put the Clippers up seven, those were some hopeful moments. But really, everything seemed unlimited when yep. during the Oklahoma City game. So it was. I'm going to watch that clip right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's that, is that it for Twitter questions. Yep, that's it. I think that'll do it for this episode of the Law of the Jam, the podcast. As always, give us some ratings on whatever you listen to us to. And, of course, as always, go Clippers!